Tonight, the Lord has us in a very specific psalm of David. And this psalm is quite short, but there are three distinct expressions from the heart of David. And I want us to look at it clearly. If you highlight or underline in your Bible, if you're old school and you like to fill your Bible with personal notes, and some people go a year or two years in one Bible, they'll swap to the next Bible, fresh pages for ink. Is there anyone in here that likes to highlight or underline your Bible? Yeah, I do too. Um, if you want to, go ahead and do this. It'll help you see these distinctions clearly in our study. Uh, under verse 1 and 2, draw a line. And then you want to separate verse 3 and 4. And then verse 5 and 6. So three distinct expressions, three distinct positions. We'll talk about that in a moment in this psalm. And each is only two verses, but there's so much here in these few short verses. And before we even read this, let me just give you a little bit of my heart as I've read this and studied this this week. I believe in all reality, this psalm represents what life is like. There are seasons of life where there is peace. And it seems that everything is stable and Everything seems to be sort of even killed. And what we come to learn about those times in our life, maybe those moments of peace, those moments in life that kind of seem even killed, become the most precious moments or seasons of life where there is no turmoil, where there is no overwhelming pressure or pain. And those do become very precious because they become so few and far between. Especially the older we get, the more we take on life, family, spouses, children, work, retirement, health concerns, problems, issues, and pains that come along the way. But those moments where there is that even killed, just wonderful peace, they become precious moments in our lives. And sometimes it feels like life is a teeter-totter. If you don't know what a teeter-totter is, you didn't go to the same playground I did when I grew up. But teeter-totters going back and forth in the same motion, up and down. One end is up, one end is down. There for just a few short seconds in the ascent and descent, there is a leveled out moment on the teeter-totter. If you're like me and you've always been a big kid, that moment was very fast. It didn't stay too level too, too long. It was fast, fast movements, fast motions. We'll stop. We won't go any further there. But life is that teeter-totter. And it's a teeter-totter between turmoil and tranquility. Turmoil and tranquility. That is a lot of what life becomes, even as a Christian who is a alien passing through a land which does not belong to you, this land called earth that is not your permanent home. Yes, we are blessed. We are highly favored. We're saved. We're sanctified. We're waiting glorification. But it does not mean that there are not bad days, that there is not pressure, that there isn't uh, absolute pain and problem and issue. Those seasons come. They are absolutely guaranteed if you live any life whatsoever. And before we read this again, David wrote this psalm from a place of exhaustion. 
David wrote this psalm, these six little powerful verses, from a place of depression. And we don't know exactly what's happening in these six verses. The Bible doesn't give us absolute clear context. But if you know anything about the life of David, his troubles with King Saul, uh, something that went on year after year in his life of constant depression and constant discouragement and constant war and constant turmoil. And already in his life, there's places in the life of David that you can see that he is absolutely driven to the ends of human capability. David comes to the end of himself. David comes to a place where there's no more left in the tank. A place where there's nothing left of himself to give. There's nothing but sad, depressed, dejected David. And that's exactly what this psalm is. But this psalm, as short as it is, is so powerful because in just six short verses, everything changes. Everything changes. And most of us have been right here. We've been in these places where David is in this psalm. David in this psalm is saying, God, if you don't do something right now, I'm not going to make it. God, if you don't change the situation, if you don't change the circumstance right now, I'll never be the same. God, right now in this moment, this very second, I need you to intervene on my behalf or I may not live to see morning. And some of you have been there, and some of you are there now, and some of you are in that even-killed place where the teeter-totter has balanced out, and you're saying, God has been good to me, life is stable, life is peaceful, and you need to realize that that moment is one of the most precious gifts and blessings that God could ever give you. Enjoy that moment, that season, but most of us have been exactly where David is here. And it may be a long drawn out sickness. It may be a financial problem and it may be a financial problem of great severity or long standing. There may be great difficulties. You may feel tangled. You may even feel hopeless. It may be a wayward son, a wayward daughter, an alcoholic spouse. It may be an unsaved loved one. There are many things in life, even as saved people, that can drive us to this place where David is. It might be a situation at work. It might be a demanding, unreasonable boss. It might be someone who's jealous of you. It might be someone who's willing to lie on you. It might be someone who's willing to say anything to get ahead at the job and it harms you and it hurts you and they don't care. They got the promotion and you're left in the dust and you're broken and you're hurt and you feel like all of the hard work and all of the labor has been in vain. We could go on for the rest of the night and find custom situations for every person in the room and fit ourselves into this psalm, into this place of sadness and where circumstance has taken over. But if you're making notes, these are a few things that you'll want to absolutely know, even again before we read the psalm. Know this, that man's circumstance, no matter what the circumstance is, is always God's opportunity. Man's circumstance, no matter what the circumstance is, 
Maybe you're taking care of a sick parent. Maybe you're tending for uh, multiple families' needs and you're helping out a brother, a sister, and, and you've got all of this extra stress and pressure. Whatever it is, whatever the circumstance is, it's always God's opportunity. Again, this is for someone who is in the faith. There is a benefit for people who are in this place who belong to God. David is not outside of God's control here, and David is not outside the family of God. David is in this position as a member of the family of God, a member of the kingdom of God. And man's circumstance is always God's opportunity, no matter what it is. And when I'm at my wit's end, and when I feel that I'm without resource, I have nothing else to give, I've uh, really lost my way, I feel perplexed, I feel surrounded, I feel desperate. If you'll pay attention, especially people who have come out of those situations, if you'll pay attention and look closely, you'll learn and you'll begin to see a pattern that those moments where you feel down, depressed, dejected, separated from God are the moments where God begins to work the most. It seems to be that God always gets glory out of the pressure that His children are under. And if you'll pay close attention, you'll notice that the nature of God is so obvious. The nature of God really is so obvious. It's obvious in His Word. It's obvious in His movements. It's obvious in His provision. And the hindsight being what it is, as a child of God, you can see and understand perfectly and clearly how God works, go through problems, go through issues, and then somehow we get spiritual amnesia and we just forget. Six months ago, you couldn't even raise a hand or, or, or cry a tear or, or worship at all. And now you're in a, a wonderful season and God's moving and you feel the presence of God and you feel that God is close and that prayers are being answered and that you can worship openly. And you go through that season and then again the teeter-totter. You're back in a place of pressure. You're back in a place of pain. You're back in a place where it's hard to worship. It's hard to pray. It's hard to read. And somehow, some way, the, the, the flesh that we wore against every day cuts our brain off from the memory path within the synopsis of our brain that takes us back to the place where God brought us out in the first place. We get real forgetful about the goodness and the blessings and the mercy of God. We uh, seem to separate ourselves and think, well, this time, this is too far. God can do nothing for this situation. This is exactly where David is in this psalm. So the nature of God is so obvious if we'll just pay attention. And, and before God does anything about our situation... Here's something we all have to learn. Before God does anything about my situation, He wants to do something about me. Uh-oh. This is hard. Before God does anything about the situation that I'm in, He's actually going to do something about me first. He wants to do something about me. He's not wasting the circumstance. He's not wasting the pressure. He's not wasting the problem. 
The truth is, most of the time, God has you perfectly right where he wants you. And it's a season of pain and pressure and problems and dejection and depression. But it's a season of trimming. It's a season of pruning. It's a season of growth. No new life can spring forth until the dead branches and the dead leaves are removed from the vine. God will begin to put you in places you never dreamed you would be and you feel like he's not within 10,000 miles. But what you don't know is the pain and the pressure you feel is God with his holy shears and his holy hand trimming dead Winston from Winston so that new life can grow. New depth with God. And we want God to deal with our complications. And he wants to develop our character. We want him to change our circumstance. And he wants to change us for his glory first. And realize that he always allows the circumstance in the first place for his glory. We cry, Lord, hurry up. And his response every time is always, it's your move. I won't move until you do. And that's what this little psalm is all about. So here we have a story of David. A story of a man taken out of a horrible pit. And as you will see, he goes from the miry clay to his feet planted firmly upon a rock with a new song in his mouth. And it all happens with a half a dozen verses. And all of it can be read in really less than a minute. But here's what I want you to see, and this is why I'm doing a little teaching and explaining before we read the psalm. I want you to see as we transition from verse 1 and 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 to 6, I want you to see those verses as locations. I want you to see those places as locations. This is just how God dealt with my heart about it today. And I want you to see three distinct locations. The first location that we'll look at is the sorrow beneath the sea. The sorrow beneath the sea. There's the state of his expression and then there's the location that for the sake of explanation we'll add to and understand clearly. The sorrow beneath the sea. Verse 1 and 2. It's on your screen and you'll see our media team has built this for you to be under the sea. So here we are together. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? And where it says enemy, you can put anything that is a circumstance, a a negative reality for the sake of the psalm and for the sake of understanding. Uh, in David's case, it was a real enemy, a real foe. It could be that King Saul was coming after him with everything that he had. But for you, it may be that your King Saul that's coming after you is the debt that's overwhelming your house. It could be that the King Saul that is pursuing you is the relationship between you and your spouse. It could be that your King Saul that's pursuing you every single day is an addiction to something that no one has any idea you're addicted to. 
And so we're in this mourning state, the sorrow beneath the sea. And the reason I've put our psalmist underneath the sea is I read this and you'll notice how many times he asks the question, how long? How long? How long? How long? He says it four times in two short verses. And what I see David doing is I see David drowning. I see David suffocating. The weightiness of the entire ocean is on him. His chest cannot move back and forth. He can't catch his breath. He has that feeling where someone as a kid, you remember that feeling of someone holding you under the water too long and that terrible sensation? You think, my Lord, Winston, who tried to drown you in the pool? We just played rough. But if you've ever been in a situation where even maybe you're trying to hold your breath for a minute and a half, And you begin to feel that sensation of, boy, I've got to take a breath. And eventually that's what will drive you to the surface. That's where David is in this psalm. He's drowning. He's overwhelmed. He can't breathe. It hurts. It's painful. That's how this all starts. But there's two figures of speech. And Miss Margaret, I hope and pray that you are proud of this portion of the sermon. Two interesting figures of speech. But they're figures of speech that give you insight into what David's really feeling. Two figures of speech. The first is called erotesis. And it's asking questions without waiting for an answer. This is the language that he's using. And it's language that we use when we're driven into a corner by circumstance. Think back, and and more than likely we've all used this uh, figure of speech, this part of speech, maybe even in prayer. You ask the question, and before you even get a response, or you wait to get a response, you ask the question again. Are we there yet? Hey, are we there yet? How long, Lord? How long? It's a part of speech to let you know that David is really drowning in his situation. And we can say this, thank God for David's willingness and his openness to bear his innermost soul in this way. For David to be transparent enough to admit that God, I am in a place where you're going to have to move. How long? How, how long? He asks. God, move. We've been there ourselves. Many of you may be there even tonight. And what happens is an argument begins to ensue with God. And and some people say, well, how sacrilegious to say you're arguing with God. I mean it in the most sincere way. I mean it in the way of asking God, beseeching God, begging God for understanding. Because we all have our own opinion about our circumstance. God, I don't want to live here anymore. God, I don't want to be in this anymore. I don't want to experience this. God, I don't want to feel this way when I walk into church. I don't want to feel this way when I go to work. I don't want to feel this way when I walk into the house and I see my spouse. I want to feel different. I want to be different. How long? How much longer, Lord, David asks. That's where he is. And then the second figure of speech is anaphora. An anaphora is repetition of the same word at the beginning of successive sentences. Repetition of the same word at the beginning of successive sentences. 
He's adding emphasis in the way that he's talking, in the way that he's praying. It's rhetorical. He's saying, here I am, Lord. I'm talking to you. And he says, how long, how long, how long, how long? What you have here is a triangle. This is life. You have the psalmist David. And inside that triangle is David and God and David's circumstances. And what those three do in that triangle, it's a revolving door of pain and growth and perplexity. And in David's eyes, while he's in that triangle and God's trying to teach him something and grow him, David feels this, that God is no longer available to be with David. David feels as if God has abandoned him. And if we're not too careful, we'll try to separate ourselves from the psalmist. We'll say, no, there's no way I've ever felt that way. I'm way yonder too spiritual. I've never felt like God abandoned me. I've never felt like God left me. I've always been able to say, yes, I I know God's in this situation and in this circumstance. If we'll get honest with ourselves, we'll find those places where we wondered. And maybe it was just for a moment and God used the moment to increase your faith. But there have been times and there have been places in our lives where we wondered if God had anything to do with the situation we're looking at. It happens every day at Mission Hospital. It happens every day at funeral homes all across Western North Carolina. It happens every day at children's cancer centers. God, where are you? How long? How long? And he asked the question, how long will thou forget me? David feels like God does not even ponder the existence or even know of the existence of David anymore. He feels absolutely cut off from God. He feels like God is gone and that all that he is left with is his own capability. His own understanding. And what David is finding out is what you will find out in these moments that I am not enough. I'm not enough. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the understanding. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. There is no book. There is no class. This is just a moment where I feel completely cut off from God. And I feel like he's forgotten me. That's how David feels. And what David has done is he's finding himself in isolation. But this is the most devastating form of isolation because it's born in a lie. This is isolation that is costly. I think there's some saints of God, you're already following this in your heart because you've been here before. This is a dangerous form of isolation for the child of God because it is born in a lie that God is gone or that God doesn't see or that God has forgotten or that God has abandoned. All of that is a lie for the child of God. But that's exactly what David's saying. You forgot me. You don't even know that I exist. For whatever reason, human beings, our natural response 
to spiritual isolation where we feel like God is not listening to us or that God is being mean to us or that God has abandoned us. Listen now, learn this lesson from the psalmist so that you don't have to learn it for yourself. Listen to what I'm saying. Spiritual isolation from God will always lead to more isolation and it comes in a physical form. Our natural reaction to spiritual isolation is physical isolation. Sad, dejected, depressed children of God will always show signs that something is off spiritually. And the fastest way you can find it, the easiest way to notice it even in your own life, is because it comes in the form of more isolation. More separation from the one place you should be and the one place you can get help. More separation, more isolation from the family of God where you can get help, where you can be loved, and where you can come out of the circumstance. So David's belief in the lie that God's abandoned him, God, there's no way you're here, there's no way you're in this circumstance. The response, the natural reaction of flesh is to be more alone. God, I'm having a hard time. You've not moved in this situation. I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've begged you and I've begged you and I've begged you. And my marriage is still falling apart. Why go to church? Why go? Why waste my time? He has forgotten me. It's exactly where David is. And it's who we are as people if we're not careful. I get a daily email with headlines and other things about the markets and futures and it's called the morning brew. And some of it's not worth reading, some of it is. But they had a stat this morning, Michael, in the morning brew. It's an email that comes out about 5.30 every morning. And this morning I was scrolling through the headlines and looking at the markets And they had a stat from the U.S. Surgeon General. It says this. It says, The risk of premature death from being socially disconnected is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and represents even a higher mortality impact than the lack of physical activity and obesity, according to the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. In an advisory yesterday, he warned that being persistently alone presented profound health threats to all Americans. Time spent with friends fell by 20 hours a month from 2003 to 2020. Here's what's scary. And that was before the pandemic kept all of us apart even more. We were not made to be Alone. And when we find ourselves cut off from God and our reaction, our response is to become more alone, that is one of the most dangerous decisions you could ever make for yourself. When you feel like your prayers are not being answered, run to the church house. When you feel like you're cut off from uh, the love of God and that God is paying attention to you or that your identity is somehow scrambled in church and faith and life and you feel like just giving up, make that the time where you run to the house of God 
and find you a gray-haired saint of God that you can trust and tell them how you feel and beg them to pray for you. We're not meant to be alone. David's underneath the sea in sorrow. Very quickly, number two, he goes from the sea and now he begins to come to the surface. Verse three says, consider and hear me. O Lord, my God, lighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. What's happening here is the sorrow beneath the sea becomes the supplication on the sea. We've come out from the drowning situation of being 50 feet below with no air. And now all of a sudden, David is just starting to bob up out of the water and his lungs are beginning to get some fresh air. And because his lungs are beginning to get fresh air, David is beginning to be able to think more clearly. He's, be able, he's being able to understand what's happening in his life. And what's happening in this verse, already things are changing. Some clarity is coming. And David's coming to himself. David, and listen to what I'm saying here, child of God, David is not going to allow himself to be forgotten. David is not going to allow himself to be forgotten. And what he's saying here is consider and hear me. And then he qualifies what he says. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Listen to what David's saying. He's just said, you forgot me. You've abandoned me. You've left me. I don't even know if you know that I exist. But then he starts to come up to the surface and get some air in his lungs and a clear thought about him. And then he says, consider me, remember me, hear me. Oh, Lord, my God, my God. He's starting to come to himself a little bit. He's been down and he's been drowning and he can't breathe and he can't move and he can't go nowhere. But now he's coming to himself. And he, what he's saying here is, God, you may have forgotten me. You may have abandoned me, but I refuse to allow myself to be forgotten because you are my God. It's possessive on both ends. I belong to you and you belong to me. And David's coming up for some air. He said, you may have forgotten me, but you're still mine. Hear me, God. Hear me, Lord. Send a life raft. Send someone to help. He says, lighten my eyes. And this, if you'll pay close attention to this, this is not as much enlighten me with spiritual knowledge as it is to cheer me up. Whew. You ever got in the car and you said, boy, I wish somebody would cheer me up. Boy, I could use an episode of Andy Griffith or something. An RC cola and a stack of moon pies, something. Grandmama to make fried pork chops and rice and gravy and rolls and slaw that's just absolutely smothered in Duke's mayonnaise. 17,000 calories in one dinner. You could eat it once a year. Sometimes you just need to be cheered up. And if you learn anything about the life of David, you'll find out that David had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord. That's exactly what he's doing here again. 
Hear me. Consider me. Oh Lord, my God. He's my God. He's my God. He's my God. I need somebody to cheer me up. It's on you. Because I belong to you. You know what David's starting to remember? He's starting to remember what it's like to have just a little bit of confidence and just a little bit of authority in who he is as a child of God. Anybody hear what I'm saying? He's starting to come to himself and remember, hey, I'm a child of God. I I may not feel it. I may not be able to see it and understand it, but I'll operate off the principle of the word of God that he said that I belong to him and that he is mine. Hey, Lord, remember me, your son, your child. Consider my condition. David comes up out of the depths to the surface. Oh, there it is. There's some fresh air. Oh, I can breathe. Hey, I see help coming. He's starting to come to himself. And now he's beginning to remember what it is. He's starting to breathe. And because he's starting to breathe, he's starting to see the sorrow turn into supplication. He's gone from feeling dejected and depressed and no hope. And now he's asking God for something. At least he's acknowledging the existence of God in the first place. Sometimes, child of God, that's exactly what you have to do in the darkest, deepest, depressed state of your life. You just have to come to your senses and ask God to do something for you. God, if all it is is one word from one person, it will be enough. God, if it's just one song, one remembrance of one verse, it'll be enough. And the sorrow turns into the little baby asking for milk. My supplication, my needs. And then lastly, this is where it gets good. The sorrow turns into supplication, but it doesn't stay supplication long. But I have trusted, this is verse number five. This is the song on the mountaintop. We've gone 50 feet below. Now we're at the surface. We're getting some air. We're coming to our senses. We're remembering who God is and what God is. And now we find ourselves in the song on the mountaintop. The sorrow has turned to supplication. And the supplication has now turned to the song on the mountaintop. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And now David's gone from drowning into a depressed, dejected state to now instantly he's on the mountaintop. Notice it took a while. It took a little season to get between the 50 feet below and the top. He's just at sea level now. That took a long season. But it was no time at all. As soon as he opened his mouth and asked God, the next verse, he was singing a song of remembrance. David had personal Holy Ghost, heaven sent revival from the depths of the ocean to one moment of acknowledging that God was who he was. He could say, hey, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I have the peace of God and I can sing on the mountaintop. You know what David did? He remembered what all had happened in the past. He remembered, hey, I, 
I know that bear was getting ready to kill me and my God came through. Hey, Saul had an opportunity to take my life and my God came through. There were times and there were places in your life, if you'll just go back and remember God's hand moving, you'll be able to sing your song on the mountaintop. Just remember who he is and what he is. Now he can sing. I talk about it all the time. I talked about it today in the office, Miss Debbie. Some of the most precious time I have is that we're at a table or at a desk with our pastor emeritus. I love that man. He's a treasure. I, ch I challenge anyone who has an opportunity to have a conversation with him. Just sit down and listen to what he has to say. A man of wisdom and humility. And today we were sitting around my table in my office and I said, Granddaddy, I remember something. And I said, it's what's getting me through today. He has preached and he has taught for years that we do not operate on what we feel. Don't operate on your emotions. The human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. The, the prophet said, who can know it? Who can handle it? Who can contain the human heart? It's vile and it's wicked and it'll deceive even itself. And so, for a few days now, we've just been living on the principle of God's Word and not what we can feel. And I told him, I said... It becomes more and more precious to me every time I think about it. And sometimes I wonder if we'll ever see a move of God like what I saw at the Cane River Revival on the second Thursday night of that meeting. A cornfield in Burnsville. And God poured out in such a way. It changed my life forever. I'll never forget it. A lot of people got saved that night and no one ever sang. No one ever spoke a word. No one even had to read a verse that night. It was just a drawing power of the Holy Ghost of God. And I'm just thankful. Listen now. I believe that God could do that in this building on Sunday morning and I will keep asking for that until the day I die. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. But if you're not careful... Do it again, Lord, will become, Lord, how long? Lord, how much longer until you move in a way that shakes the walls and the foundations of lives forever? When will we see the outpouring? When will Asheville have its moment to repent and turn to God? How long? How long? How long? And I'm just thankful that today I got to sit at a table with God's man and get on the mountaintop and sing a song. And the song was, I saw God move. The song was, I saw God change lives and I saw God save people and there's fruit that remaineth to this day. That was the song. And if God did it then, He can do it now. I said, if God did it then, He can do it now. I believe that God can do it next door in that building. 
You are the most blessed church in Western North Carolina, maybe even the entire country. The youth pastor, the caliber of man he is. You ought to thank God every day that there's not some egghead, big-nosed dweeb teaching your children or your teenagers that there is a man of God who loves the Lord and who sold out. And if God so chooses... If God so chooses to breathe on the babies in the basement or to breathe on the teenagers upstairs, if that's where it has to start, then God get all the glory and do it tomorrow. But if you'll have mercy on this old group of sinners saved by grace who are hungry, who are tired, who are weary, and who need a breath from heaven, if he'd do it here Sunday, I'll give him all the praise, all the glory, and the honor. Maybe we just need to get on the mountaintop for a minute tonight. Get out of the ocean. Get out of that depth. Get rid of the depression and the dejection for just a few minutes. And remember what it is to be a child of God. Brother Ben, would you guys come? Lead us in whatever's on your heart. Maybe for just a few minutes tonight, before we go get our children, we can just get on the mountain. And thank God for his deliverance. David gets on the mountaintop, verse 5 and verse 6. And what he sings is a song of divine deliverance. That God came to me and he changed my life. He changed my circumstance. It was still painful. It was still hard. But he never left me. He never rejected me. And he was there the whole time. Brother Ben, do you want us to stand as we worship? Won't you stand all over the building tonight? Let me pray over you before we go, before we sing. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, you know every heart and every life that's in this building. Lord, you know what they need. And God, you know how to meet the need. God, I pray that you would encourage the one who's discouraged. Lord, that you would bring stability and comfort to the one who is in a season of pain and pressure. God, I pray for the mother who's missing a son. For the mother who's missing a daughter. God, for the spouse who's been abandoned. Or for the one whose heart is breaking and can't even say why. For anyone here that's below sea level, Lord, in that same place that David was, I pray that tonight, Lord, you begin the process of bringing them up out of that weightiness Give them a breath of fresh air from heaven and let them get on the mountain and sing their song of victory. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor for what you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for touching my old throat. Amen.
and saving my soul. Thank you. Let's sing what's there on the screen without the instruments for just a second. Lead us. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for me. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We'll give you all glory, all honor, and all praise. Lord, thank you for Trinity Baptist Church. God, for this lighthouse on the hill. Lord, that you have protected and that you have established. God, that you're using for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us, God, for the rest of the week. Lord, that you would just breathe on your people on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. God, there'd be a hunger and a desperation. Lord, that maybe on Friday and Saturday, we'd just spend a little extra time in your word praying for the services at 8 o'clock and at 10.30. God, for the Sunday school hour, for the choir. God, for the message that you won't preach. Lord, would you move? Would you move? Have your will and have your way. Protect us as we go home. Keep us safe. Keep us in your love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen and amen. Good night. God bless you. Be careful going home. Go get your babies. Maybe look at them a little different tonight and say, thank you, Lord. <laughs>